Amen. That was good. Thank you guys for participating in worship this morning. As I mentioned today, we begin a new study. And if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, uh, you can do that and follow along with where we'll be reading from here in just a minute. The the verses that we'll read will also be up on the screens uh, as we read those. But I want to start this morning with a question, really a series of questions to get us thinking about this topic that we're going to be studying over the next several months together. And the question that I want to get you thinking about is when is the last time that you felt out of place? When is the last time that you felt like a stranger? Can you remember that time, that moment when you felt that way? Maybe at your job or at your school if you're a student, maybe on the first day of a new job or the first day of school. Maybe it was when you moved into a new house or a new neighborhood, or maybe it was when you came into the life of this church or another church at some point during your lifetime. Or maybe it was at some point when you were put in a situation that you didn't want to be in and you just felt uncomfortable, you felt out of place, you felt like things were a bit off. Something happened that just left you feeling that way. If you've ever traveled to a foreign country, an unfamiliar place, you likely know this feeling, a a place that didn't speak your language, a place where you didn't know all the customs, a place where you felt like you, you stuck out. You obviously weren't from there. I've experienced this a number of times in traveling to other countries. It turns out that tall, light skinned guys don't fit in exactly well in Asia or in Africa. We don't look like everybody else there. And I've learned in my travels to Ghana specifically that this feeling that I'm talking about, they actually have a name for you in Ghana if you're a tall, you know, not necessarily if you're tall, but especially if you're a foreigner, a white person especially. Uh, Obruni is the word that they used. And and I know Raleen and, and Suzanne may remember on our trip several years ago, uh, they actually have a song in the northern parts, the poor parts of Ghana. There's a, a song that these kids would sing in the northern, these villages, small villages. Oh, Bruni, how are you? I am fine. Thank you. They may not speak much English, but they know that song, and they would sing it over and over and over again. Oh, Bruni literally means those who come from the horizon. But for people living in the poor northern villages of Ghana, it just means foreigner or white man. And you notice this feeling of being out of place when you're in a place like that, right? A place where it's obvious that you don't fit in. But when is the last time you felt that way living here? In this place, in this country, in this county? When you felt like you you stuck out like a foreigner, like a stranger, you felt different. Today, as we begin this study of 1 Peter, I'm calling it different for that reason. I want us to think about what it means to live as foreigners in a world that is not our home. And you'll see over the next couple of months that Peter emphasizes this over and over and over again, this idea that we live in a world that is actually, for followers of Jesus, not our native country. We live in a world, for us, that is not our native country. And here's the idea that I want you to lean into over the next several months. You live here, but you aren't from here. You live here, 
but you aren't from here. I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you and look them in the eye and say to them, you live here, but you aren't from here. Ready? Go. Now, whether you thought about it or not, this is not just a silly exercise, right? Whether you've thought about it or not, this is actually what you proclaim as a follower of Jesus Christ. You, you proclaim as a follower of Jesus that I live here, but I'm not actually from here. And you're going to hear it over and over and over again in 1 Peter, but he isn't the only one to talk about it, actually. Jesus talked to Nicodemus about this idea of not being from around here in John chapter 3. You remember this story? Listen to what John tells us as this story plays out, as he does kind of the the narrative of this story. He says, there was a, a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Some translations say born from above. How can someone be born, Nicodemus asked, when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. This is a familiar story for some of us, but maybe some of you haven't heard it before. But what what we notice in this story is that Nicodemus doesn't understand at first what Jesus is talking about, right? He's confused. How how can a person be born again? It's not possible. What you're talking about is actually impossible. And Jesus says, I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, this is what happened with you and I. When we entered into a relationship with Jesus, nothing about your physical appearance changed. Nothing about your status in society or even your life situation. Things could have been really difficult in your life when you gave your life to the Lord and submitted to him in baptism and were raised up out of the water. Nothing in your actual life may have changed. If it was difficult before that happened, it might still have been difficult. If if things were going along pretty smoothly, things might have continued on smoothly. But what does happen, what did happen for many of us and what does happen for people is that the spirit of Jesus Christ comes to live inside of us from above. Jesus says, so that what's actually happening is that you are being reborn. This phrase, again, as I said, is sometimes translated in in various translations of the Bible, born from above. And I want you to think about it this way. Think about what Jesus is saying this way. On your birth certificate, on everybody's birth certificate, somewhere on the birth certificate, the place of your birth is listed. Right? Mine says birthplace, Dallas. Born at Presbyterian Hospital. But what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is that when you are born from above, it's like you were born there. So that your birth certificate doesn't say some American city. It says born from above. 
And this is the key, church. <clears throat> when you were born, when you are reborn and born from above, that birthplace location for you in, in a, as an American citizen, that birthplace location is a factor in determining where you have your citizenship, right? And so the implication is when Jesus says you're born from above, that it is also a determining factor in where your citizenship lies. You moved your citizenship and location from this place to a new place, a different kingdom. So you were born there, but you still live here, which is an interesting thought. It's like you and I are dual citizens. We have dual citizenship in the actual country that we live in. If I was preaching this sermon in another part of the world to a group of Christians, that the application would be exactly the same. They would have their citizenship in the actual country that they live in, <clears throat> and they would also have citizenship in heaven. You still live here, and by all practical points, you appear to be a citizen of this country. But your primary citizenship belongs to another kingdom. Have you ever thought about this and the implications of this? What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of God while also living in an earthly kingdom? What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of God while also living in an earthly kingdom? That is what Peter is writing this letter about. And that is what this series is about. And this morning, to help us kick off this, the study of this letter and to think about this idea of being different, we're going to look at the first two verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. Not a long section of this letter, but there's a lot to unpack. And so here's what Peter writes. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, a pretty standard way of introducing a letter. He's telling people who he is. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. A lot of letters in the New Testament were written to Christians that were basically in one location, right? A lot of the letters that we have to churches were written to Christians in one location. But the thing that's interesting about this letter, about 1 Peter, is that Peter is writing to Christians that are scattered all over what today we know of as the nation of Turkey. If you're a geography person and you care about wearing, knowing where all of those locations are that he just rattled off, they were regions in what we now know of as the nation of Turkey. The Peter that wrote this letter is the same person that walked out on the water to Jesus, the same person that was involved in that miraculous catch of fish in Luke 5 when the boats began to sink. The same person that denied Jesus. But those things you have to keep in mind as you read through this letter and you hear Peter talk, those things happened when Peter was a young man. He was less mature. He was learning. He was growing. He was a new disciple, a new follower of Jesus. By the time we read these words that he's written, and they are rich and dense and incredibly powerful. What we see is that he's lived more life. He's experienced some things. He understands 
what it means to deal with and experience and live through hardship, to see people live and to see people die. Jesus has been gone by the point he writes this letter. Jesus has been gone for many years from the earth physically. And Peter is writing this letter to these Christians that are scattered all over to remind them of their true identity, who they really are while they live in these areas of Galatia and Cappadocia and Pontus, while they live in these areas, who they really are. They live in those places, but who are they really as followers of Jesus? To remind them of their true identity as citizens of the kingdom of God. And and I want to walk through this morning what he says to them about who they are and about what he says to you about who you are. Here's the identity, identity markers that he kind of lays out for them. He says, first of all, you are God's elect. Some translations may say chosen. You're God's chosen. You're set apart by God. You're sanctified for obedience, and you're sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Now, as we think about these identity markers, I want you to think about what we do just as humans, when we meet someone or when we see someone, maybe for the first time, right? You look at the outside, you look at the external. We evaluate people all the time based upon their appearance, how they dress, where they're from, what they're like, their background, their family, their social status, their wealth or their poverty. I'm not saying we do that in a ugly or cruel way. Just, these are just realities. Like we're, we're always sort of noticing these things about people. But notice when Peter addresses these Christians that we don't know, but we can, rev, we can assume, I think safely assume, that are all over the spectrum about all of those categories that I just rattled off. He, he doesn't address them in those ways. Peter addresses them based on their identity as Christians, elected, chosen, set apart by God, sanctified for obedience, sprinkled with the blood. In this new kingdom where you are a citizen, this is what matters, Peter says. This is you. This is who you are, church. The first thing that he says is that you're God's elect. Now, I want to just acknowledge as we start, especially for those of you who may have grown up in church, how many of us were even taught that we were God's elect, that we were chosen by God. And this is so important, I think, in how we think about our identity, our citizenship in God's kingdom. Like in our world, like our world, in, in the ancient world, a person was chosen or was elected to represent them, to represent the people, right? And the, and the people's interests in the federal government, in the local government, they were, that, that was the elect, And the idea that Peter is communicating here is that when you come to Christ and you enter into a relationship with Christ, you are God's elect. You have been chosen by God or elected to represent God and God's interests in the world. This is what elected officials are supposed to do, right? To represent and to represent the interests of the people who elected them. And Peter's saying, you have been elected by God. God is pleased to have you as one of his representatives in the world. We represent God. Think about that. You represent God. That is part of what it means to be a Christian. And so why does it matter how we speak, how we act, how we behave? 
It matters because you represent God. It turns out that all those things that our moms said to us when we were kids were actually true, right? They were just agreeing with Peter. Be careful what you do, what you say, how you live, because it matters in the kingdom of God. As you live your life in these earthly kingdoms, you're representing God. And remember, he said that this happened with foreknowledge, right? This whole thing isn't an accident. God had a plan from the beginning, and God's plan worked. It reached out. That plan reached out and brought us into relationship with God. It brought you into a relationship with God. You are wanted. God chose you. What else? What else does he say? He says you're set apart by God, sanctified to be obedient. Sanctified isn't a word we really use much anymore. It's kind of a you know church word, Bible word. But it just means set apart. A friend of mine explained it to me this way, this way once. I think it's a really helpful way to think about the word sanctified. Think about the word sanctified in terms of a toothbrush, okay? I don't know about you, but I do not like for anybody to use my toothbrush, right? My toothbrush is set apart for my mouth. It is sanctified for me, not for Lana and definitely not for you. I love Lana, but I do not want her using my toothbrush unless it is the last toothbrush on the planet. And it, that toothbrush has a purpose, right? It has a purpose to brush my teeth, not the toilet, not the shower grout, not to get a stain out of a shirt after spray and wash has been sprayed on it, which has been done in our house. And, and Peter says this is the work of the Holy Spirit, and it leads to the next identity marker. We're set apart and it's the work of the Holy Spirit, it leads to the next thing, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. You're set apart for a purpose and a person, Jesus. He is our king. We're following him. We represent him. And maybe we say, yeah, but are, how well are we doing that? Am I doing that well? And which leads to the next phrase that Peter uses to describe our identity as citizens of this kingdom. He says we're sprinkled with his blood. I think it's significant that that's the last thing that Peter says about our identity. That finishes the sentence. That completes the thought. No matter how well you're doing the sanctification process, the, being, the, part, the thing, whole thing about being set apart, or how obedient you feel like you're being, you've been covered in the blood of Christ. Now, this phrase, sprinkled with his blood, may feel strange to you if you're not familiar with the biblical story and the story of Scripture, but it was a phrase that would have meant something really significant to the original Jews that would have heard this letter. They have a background with animal sacrifices in the temple for the forgiveness of their sins. And with the blood from the animals, they would have, they would have, there would have been a sprinkling process that would have taken place. And basically all Peter is saying is this, Jesus' blood covers our sins. This is who you are. This is your identity. You have been chosen and set apart. You're one of God's representatives in the world. And you're, you've been set apart for a purpose and for a person, Jesus. And along the way, you're going to stumble and fall and mess up and take 
two steps forward and one step back, and that's going to be a normal thing, but you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ as you do that. In these first two verses, Peter also calls them exiles. He calls them in another place foreigners. After another place in his letter, he's going to call them strangers and aliens. And the point is that they're different. They're supposed to be different. The point is that they're not from around here. They're born from above. And when we're born from above, we may speak a different language. We may see things from a different perspective. We may have a different set of values sometimes. We will certainly see people differently. We'll see life and the purpose of life differently. You'll see your job differently. You'll see your family and that you have differently. You'll understand pain and suffering differently. All because you were born from above. Because your birth certificate says born from above. About 400 years ago, a letter was discovered that was, is believed to have been written around the second century. This letter is an exchange between two people. And it's known as a letter to Diognetus. And it's a letter about different, how, how different Christians seemed. I want you to take yourself mentally back to the second century for a minute. And imagine two people, one who may not know anything about Christians and the other one who is familiar with them. And, and the one who is familiar with Christians writing to the one who has no knowledge of them and telling him what, telling him what they see. So this, this letter is about how different Christians seemed to those that were watching them in the ancient world. I want to read you part of this letter. It's kind of a long piece here, but you'll understand why this is incredibly powerful to me. Imagine this exchange happening about the year 130 or so. This is what it says. Christians are not distinguished from other people by their country, language, nor by the customs. They inhabit both Greek and barbarian cities, and it is while following the customs of the natives in clothing and food and, all, and the rest of ordinary life that they display to us their wonderful and admittedly striking way of life. They live in their own countries, but they do so as those who are just passing through. As citizens, they participate in everything with others, yet they endure everything as if they were foreigners. Every foreign land is like their homeland to them, and every land of their birth is like a land of strangers. They marry like everyone else, and they have children, but they do not destroy their offspring, sacrifice their offspring. They share their meals, but not their wives. They obey the prescribed laws, all the while surpassing the laws by their lives. They live better than the laws of the land. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They lack everything, yet they overflow in everything. The soul is dispersed through all the parts of the body, and Christians are scattered through all the cities of the world. The soul lives in the body, yet is not of the body. Christians live in the world, yet are not of the world. This is the second century. Believed, again, to be, have been a letter between two people, one describing Christians to the other one. And you get this sense as you listen that they were different, don't you? That they stood out, that people noticed this strange but yet incredibly attractive way of life that these Christians were living. 
They stood out, but in all the right ways. Sometimes Christians probably stand out in the wrong ways, quite honestly. Drawing attention to Jesus for the right reasons instead of the wrong reasons. And what we're going to do and think about together over the next couple of months is this idea. What does it mean for those of us living now in this time to live in this kind of way? As foreigners, as strangers, as people who are different, who are set apart for a purpose and for a person. You were born here, but you're not from here. Our citizenship is in another kingdom, even while we live in this world. I am really excited to go on the journey together in the coming weeks, and I hope you are too. Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning grateful that you have you've chosen us to be your representatives in the world, that we are wanted, that we are your children. We pray, Father, as we wrestle with and embrace this reality that we will take our responsibility seriously, knowing that we will do it imperfectly, that we will mess up, that we will stumble every day, but that we will be committed to remember that we are citizens of your kingdom, that our identity is that, a person who, who belongs to the kingdom of God. I'm grateful for this church community, and I pray that you will be with each of us as we go out into our lives this week to be those representatives that you've called us to be. It will give us courage and strength and wisdom and insight to proclaim what it is that we believe, that we live here, but we're not from here. And we pray that opportunities will come up where we'll be able to speak about our faith, we'll be able to tell others about why it is that we make decisions, why we treat people a certain way, why we react or don't react a certain way, and all of the other things that come along with this life that we've embraced as a follower of Christ. We pray that you'll help us on the journey. Your spirit will give us strength and wisdom and empower us to do the things that we are unable to do on our own. We love you, Father. We're grateful that we have been chosen by you, that we have been set apart by you for a purpose and for a person. We're grateful for Christ, who is our person. We want our lives to reflect and be all about. We pray in his name this morning. Amen. If you would stand with me this morning, we're going to sing another song before our shepherd's prayer, before we're dismissed to our classes. Let's sing it this time. <laughs>